You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, April 25th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. Joining me at this podcast is Slash Film News Writer Ryan Scott. Happy Monday, everyone. How's it going? And of course, with it being Monday, we got to talk about the box office. Uh, what, what even came out this weekend, Ryan? Uh, I, Peter, you know, I generally try to be a positive guy around these uh, around these parts. <laughs> uh, this was the most discouraging weekend at the box office <laughs> I have seen in a very, very long time. Uh, this was. This was a heartbreaker for like a lot of reasons I don't even see a lot of people talking about. So uh, the two big releases this weekend were The Northman and The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, both of which underperformed on various levels, uh, neither of which got nearly what it needed to get. So, you know, that's for starters. So how much did The Northman make? So just to break down, it's, it's probably good to just go through the top five real quick. So okay. the bad guys, the movie nobody on film Twitter was talking about, uh, topped topped the box office twenty four million. Very safe animated feature from DreamWorks and Universal Pictures, an original movie, so that's good. But you know, still, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog two came in at number two with fifteen point two million. Fantastic Beasts: The Secrets of Dumbledore in its second week slipped all the way to three with just fourteen million. 
Then we get to the Northmen at number four with 12 million. And finally rounding out the top five was the unbearable weight of massive talent with 7.1 million. So that's the breakdown. Okay. So I guess let's, let's start things at the beginning here, Ryan, who thought it was a good idea to give a Robert Eggers $90 million. You know, the guy that made the witch in the lighthouse, great movies. I haven't even seen the Northmen. I've heard it's amazing. That said, who who thought it was a good idea to give this guy ninety million dollars to make a like a, a Viking movie? Um, if anyone has been following me on Twitter and pays attention to stuff, I have essentially been <laughs> screaming about this since I learned the budget. Um, like I, because this is the kind of movie I want to see succeed. But this goes back to something I argue in my tales from the box office column all the time. It has got to be responsible business at every level, and this is not Gladiator. You know, like it, it, and when you get to the $90 million budget range, you need it to make gladiator money. And as someone who has seen it, I can attest to the idea that I didn't love it as much as a lot of other people seem to love it, but there's a good movie in there, but it is not a crowd pleasing film. The, the middle of it is pretty boring. And there's a reason that the trailer took stuff from like the first 20 minutes of the movie and the last 10 minutes of the movie and ignored almost everything in the middle, you know? So no, I think focus features dropped the ball here and I have a little bit of sympathy that the pandemic inflated this budget, but honestly, even at the original $65 million budget they were aiming for, I think this was too much. Yeah. And and I do want to say that this filmmaker is a good filmmaker. I'm glad that he, he got the money to do something on this level it just seems so irresponsible. From it does. No, no. And I'm. that's the thing that that's where when I say I get upset, Robert Eggers is great. But again, yeah. you know, part of what I heard, you know, The Witch was a four million dollar movie that made like forty four million dollars. You know, The Lighthouse costs a little more and made a little less, but it wasn't like an outright you know disaster or anything. But, you know, when you get to that 90 million dollar range, like let's just for perspective here, like Shazam cost one hundred million dollars, you know, like so. When you talk about the kind of money a movie like this needs to make, you know, it's just it's just Eggers was I don't think was ever going to be the guy to make the kind of movie that draws in those kind of crowds. And there is nothing wrong with that. But it's just that you then have to budget to that level. You know, like, for example, The Green Knight last year, which is weirdly comparable to this, you know, that had a 15 million dollar budget. So, you know, David Lowry wasn't asking for $90 million. He, you know, he he made that kind of movie within a constraint that made sense. Um, you know, so so yeah, yeah this, the the biggest problem here is that it's what it, it it's what it does kicking the can down the road. What happens now the next time you have an original, maybe commercially viable, but original blockbuster that isn't like straight up safe, people are gonna point to this and say, well. You know, so it, it, it takes some stuff off the table, which sucks. So this movie made over the weekend $12 million? $12 million. And it's so made that... a little less than $12 million overseas so far. So it is it is in really bad shape. So domestically, it's probably not even going to hit 30. If we... Well, yeah, especially because the audience at this point, I don't I don't suspect word of mouth on this is going to be great. I think it might be good. Um, I don't think this is going to be like everything all, everywhere all at once where you're going to get big holds. Yeah, this maybe finishes, I'm going to kind of say 24, 25 million domestic. And then how much and, worldwide? Oh God. I, I don't even think this is going to head a hundred, you know, uh, which is, which I mean that, you know, that that's, that's crushing. 
you yeah. know, for a movie that with a $90 million budget before marketing, just, you know, and, and so I should mention that like there was the, the reports of this budget, this $90 million budget. And, uh, there's been some dispute from the investors saying that the final figure was actually closer to $70 million after factoring in, in uh, tax incentives that they got. Um, but even 70 million. Yeah, it's always, a, it's always a really good sign when the investors start talking about tax credits and, uh, and, 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 and start. Cause like the thing is when a movie's got any level of success, they're the studio's not out there bitching about the budget. You know, like like in this case, when you have focus features getting out there and being, well, hold on with tax credits, it's a much more reasonable and still disastrous 70 million. So let's not freak out, you know, like so that that so I was going to bring that up. But like, yeah, it doesn't quite frankly, even if this was a 50 million dollar movie opening to 12 million is bad. So anything above that up to 90 million is very bad. So, yeah, there's no sugarcoating this. It sucks. Okay, the other big movie uh, was Massive Talent. Yeah, the um, Nick Cage playing Nick Cage comedy. Yes, which, uh, you know, I was excited to see. It, it seemed like this is, you know, you mentioned film Twitter earlier, and this seems like one of the movies that film Twitter was all a buzz about. Yeah. And also for a very good chunk of time, this had a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Like this was a very acclaimed movie and, and Lionsgate, held on to it instead of selling it during COVID and to a streamer. And, uh, you know, look again, not as disastrous. It, it debuted to 7.1 million against a $30 million budget. I like that budget figure. I don't think that's irresponsible for this kind of movie. I don't think that's irresponsible for the hook this movie provides you. And especially when you look at the proof being in the pudding with reviews and stuff, it, it just, it just sucks that maybe a few more people didn't come out to see it. Now, this is one that I think word of mouth might be a little better on. So in the coming weeks, if, if this kind of holds okay, uh, then maybe between that and if international audiences show up and maybe what you make on premium BOD, this this kind of ends up becoming a like, you know, not a disaster, but just not like a huge hit. Like maybe it, maybe we'd hoped it would be. But yeah, it's still not a great figure for for a mid-budget comedy for sure. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of hoping it would do better because I, I like the whole idea of it, the whole concept of it. I still haven't seen it. But, um, you know, uh, what was that Seth Rogen movie that this is the end where they yeah, all played yeah. uh, versions of themselves? That would that did bonkers. Uh, or I don't know. The yeah. And, and I do. And I do certainly well. feel like this could have been in that arena. Um, and I and I think this movie is absolutely going to find its audience. It's very good. I have seen it. And it is. It has my favorite Nick Cage line of all time in it uh, at this point. It's a it's an absolute blast. And so I do feel like this movie is going to find its audience again, relative to the Northman, not a disaster, but still not really what what anyone was hoping for. I think the biggest problem is what you look at is you had you had an obscenely crowded weekend. Yeah. Um. You know, so uh, it is, not, is Nick Cage not a box office draw anymore? I think he can be. Um. It's just a matter of like, you know, this was a a comedy without a without any sort of franchise hook to it. And we have to remember Nick Cage has been doing direct to video or indie movies for a very long time. This was the biggest platform he's had in a while. So, you know, like so I think I think Oh yeah, what was the like last movie that he starred in? Maybe Ghost Rider? Uh it's been maybe oh god, a big uh, movie? Sorcerer's Apprentice maybe? It's been a while. It's been a long time. Yeah. Uh wow. 
you know, I get, well, cause I guess it depends, but yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's been doing, so, you know, that's, but, but I, again, this is more of a mixed bag. It's just not as good as we would have liked. Um, I think okay. the biggest okay. problem it's go ahead. Sorry. I was gonna say, uh, lastly, because I want to get through this box office before we get to the other news, uh, we should talk about everything everywhere all at once, which it continues to make money. Yeah, only dropped uh, just a little twelve, just a little over twelve percent this weekend. Took in another five point four million. Um, it's now at around twenty eight million worldwide, but it's barely started its international rollout. So you know, twenty seven of that is is domestic right now. The smart thing is that A twenty four sold the international rights to cover the budget. So as long as this essentially covered their marketing costs, they're in the green. So and it it almost certainly did at this point. And, 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 you know, couple that with the buzz and, and the potential Oscar run later this year, you know, this is a straight up home run for them. So I love that. Um, and then also, I just want to point out the Lost City in its fifth weekend dropped just another 30%, made another 4.3 million and also started to do well overseas now. And it's like a little over 124, I think, worldwide. Um, and so, again, a good win for for like an original rom-com. Um, those were really the only two bright spots in the entire top 10 this weekend. So is the big lesson here this weekend, what is the big lesson? I guess one of the lessons we could take away from this weekend is this summer is going to be kind of a bloodbath now that we have multiple movies coming out yeah. on a single weekend, right? Yeah, the summer is going to be rough. Um, yeah, with like Sonic beating Fantastic Beasts this weekend with... Morbius and Ambulance tumbling down the chart uh, with everything we discussed and with like the only original movie to succeed being like an, an animated family friendly film, which is not at all surprising. Um, the door for cynicism is wide open here. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I again, I try to be encouraging, but this is all this all points to to some rough waters ahead. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some other movie news. Uh, Total Film is coming out this month with their cover story about Obi-Wan Kenobi, the new Disney Plus uh, miniseries. Uh, what are they calling it? Is it just... Um, it's just Obi-Wan Kenobi. No, I mean, are they calling it a series or are they calling it I think they're it calling a it a limited series is what they're um, billing it as. Yeah. Um, so there's some new photos to come out of that, which is interesting. There's some... Uh, you can check those out on slash film.com or on total film uh but one of the stories coming out of the piece is ewan mcgregor talking about actually acting opposite of darth vader for the first time uh i'll, I'll read his quote here he says quote i've never met darth vader i had rehearsed the scene with vader but not with the helmet on or anything like that when we came to do the scene when they shouted action he had to come from behind me. I turned around and fucking Darth Vader was coming at me. It was like I was six again. I'd never acted into Vader's helmet. I'd, ne I'd never looked him in the eye. <laughs> I think that's fun. That is so fun. Uh, I mean, he is intimidating. I'm not sure, Ryan, if you've ever been at a Comic-Con or – at Disney parks, they used to have a meet and greet with Darth Vader and he's t like, you know, the character is tall. 
that that iconic mask and outfit like even if you're like a bigger guy and you come into the that room at a disney park to, to meet darth vader you, you kind of cower a little bit it, 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 it is such like an iconic scary uh situation and i i, I so i can totally re- relate to him even though i have not shot a a star wars uh, movie or TV show, um, but you know, aside from this being just a fun bit to to read about, this is interesting because it does tell us, you know, a little bit about the show. Because I was assuming with them bringing back Hayden Christensen to reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker, aka Darth Vader, that most of the scenes that we were going to see with Darth Vader were going to be with the helmet off and us seeing, you know, Hayden Christensen with some kind of, you know, deformed face, you know, uh, acting opposite Ewan McGregor or, you know, Inquisitors. But it's interesting here that we get the confirmation that they're, I'm guessing he's talking about the lightsaber scene that we're seeing teased in the concept art and some of the marketing. I'm guessing this is the scene. So it's going to be Darth Vader with the helmet, not um, Aiden Christensen, you know, helmet off Aiden Christensen. Yeah, so. that's what it seems like. Um, I get the sense that Hayden like wanted to do that though. Like, because he kind of got shafted in the end of revenge of the Sith where the only scene he gets in the suit is just embarrassing. Yeah. You know? So like, yeah, yeah. Which again, if you cut that out of the movie, it's a much better movie, but, but, um, (laughs) so, and I mean that sincerely like that. I really just wish they could just take that one bit out. But anyway, um, no, I think, so I think that's cool, but I also think for like, as a star Wars fan, sometimes it's easy to forget that like Darth Vader is and should be a terrifying figure. And as someone who really loves like some of the more recent Marvel comic stuff, like Vader down is an excellent example of like Vader as a force for just terrifying good. And uh, so I like the idea that this seems to be leaning into more of like the rogue one Vader of like, we're going to see like straight up scary Vader, which is cool. Like, so, you know, I, I, that's kind of my hope. And, and I, as silly as these quotes kind of are in some way, I actually think it is pretty encouraging and fun. Yeah. Um, let's talk about another TV show, another epic TV show happening <laughs> over at Amazon. Yeah, let's so, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they're making uh, the Lord of the Rings TV show over there, and <laughs> the, we we've now heard how much it's costing them. Brian, tell us about it. Yeah, it's been a big week for sort of like streaming services showing their ass in terms of like you know how much money they're spending on things. Oh yeah, last um, week you talked about Stranger Things and how much each Str- of those Stranger episodes. Things and House of the Dragon. Um, um, both Stranger costing- Things was costing more per episode than Game of Thrones. A in the final lot season. more per episode, by the way. Thirty million per episode for Stranger Things season four versus around twenty million per episode for House of the Dragon. Uh, just silly numbers for any of us who make you know regular person money. Well, yes, but. You know, Stranger Things seems kind of small. It's a bunch of little kids. They go into the upside down every once in a while. But, like, it seems very grounded. So that, that figure kind of surprised me. That, that figure shocked me. But let me tell you. Here, me... Lord of the Rings seems epic. It's, you know, you're shooting it in New Zealand. Right. Like, there's be these huge epic battles and stuff. So I assume it's going to be more money. But how much more than Game of Thrones yeah. is the question. Well, you know, it's funny you say epic, Peter. Because uh, in a report from Variety going over sort of you know some production costs here uh the lord of the rings tv series which is titled the rings of power which by the way already has has a multi-season commitment from amazon they must make at least two two seasons of the show they cannot get out of that as far as i understand contractually uh 
$465 million price tag for the eight episode first season, which boils down to $58.1 million an episode and a little bit of change. Uh, holy shit. <laughs> that is so much money. Um, the only thing that they say is that the startup costs for launching the series uh, will presumably be spread out over multiple seasons. So yes, starting a Lord of the Rings show had a lot of upfront costs. But still, holy shit, that's a lot of money. Is is that the most expensive TV like t- per episode of a TV show ever filmed? It has to be. I, I, there can't possibly. I mean, maybe inflation would, you know, like, you know, if you like trace things back. I, again, I don't focus as much on TV with the financial stuff, but like. I mean, By the way, we I'm, just talking I'm about- looking at a list here. I'm uh, from some website that I probably don't trust, but I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> re- regurgitate the information here. Mandalorian they they peg at 15 million per episode. Yes, I'm guessing yes. it got. I've seen raised. that figure cited elsewhere. The Crown 13 million. Halo 10 million for Halo. Wow, it does not look. It looks like they spent five dollars. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, morning show, fifteen million. I guess that's just on actors alone. How? How? You're, you're paying those actors. You're, 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 oh. you're. Apple paid a lot of money for those actors. I guess. And speaking of about paying actors, ER, thirteen million per episode. Well, you know that that, a- that didn't cost anything to film. Like that's filmed all on like a sound stage of like hospitals and stuff. But that but that was at a point when like network TV, when you were drawing such big audiences that like that actually kind of again at a some at a certain point the talent spend makes sense to keep that train on the tracks. But yeah. we're in different times. Um. So yeah, fifty eight million. But again, thirteen million for fifty eight million. That is just we just talked about the original budget for the Northman was supposed to be. 65 total for you know for a gigantic blockbuster movie so uh, you know and look i other people might have different feelings about this i don't know how you feel about it peter but that trailer we've seen for rings of power does not look that expensive or polished to me um it looks like a lot of tv cgi to me and it doesn't really you know what i mean it doesn't look that much more expensive than other shows by the way i just looked it up to see how much the marvel shows cost 25 million per episode for almost every one of the series. WandaVision, Loki, actually all the series, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yep. They've talked so, about that, how they basically, they, they budgeted as like a standard Marvel movie and then they spread it out. So that's part of the reason we've talked about a little bit, like some of the effects don't look maybe as polished as they might in a movie because they're attempting to be responsible and, and not overdo it. Whereas, I mean, this, this I, in no universe can I see this Lord of the Rings budget as being even remotely responsible. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, that seems like, a, I mean, do you think huh, it really seems like we've hit peak streaming TV where we're, we're, we're seeing all this money. You know, you did a whole episode last week uh, on the Netflix of it all. Yeah. yeah me and Ben, me and Ben talked about the Netflix tumble. Yeah, it doesn't seem like even if this was a huge success that they could. Did you really think they could make enough money in prime subscriptions to to earn this? No, I've I've described, especially after what happened with Netflix last week, I've often described the the streaming wars as a house of cards being built out in the open in the wind. Um, (laughs) and, and, and. 
you know, the, the stuff like this makes you realize like, you know, either money is totally imaginary and we are living in a simulation or, you know, these giant corporations really are this, you know, just diluted and, 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 you know, this is where we're at, where like the competition and need for, and sort of the self-imposed competition and need for these gigantic franchise hooks are, are, are justifying this level of, of expenditure. Like, do you have any idea how many like buzzy indie movies you could purchase out of festivals for $468 million and what you might be able to do with that? I don't know. It's hard to imagine that this is worth it. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. And it also makes me wonder, do you think with Netflix tumbling as, as far as they have, like, I feel like it's now within Apple's grasp to just buy Netflix. I don't even know. I still think I still think Apple's best move would be to buy Paramount because then they because then Apple could defeat Netflix. Uh, and then like because then you'd be the because then you'd be the ones to put Netflix in the ground. Does and Paramount someone, have enough to like? Well, Apple's already getting a decent amount of buzz with a very tiny library and Paramount yeah. has all but put a for sale sign out front. So Paramount has a pretty good amount of stuff. And if you could essentially fold the the sheer amount of content available through Viacom, CBS and Paramount yeah. and and fold that into Apple TV Plus's art, like library, you know, that that I think would get because, again, I think the from the corporate mindset, if you could kill Netflix, that would be more of like a status. And then everyone gets to go dumpster diving through all their content if they fail. <laughs> so like, so I, you know, I can't even imagine a world where Netflix fails that bad that it gets I can't killed. really either. But but yeah, who knows? Maybe some crazy murders on the horizon. Who knows? But but I still think <laughs> if just uh, I still think that the, that I can see Apple making a play for Paramount and just to kind of nail the point a little more firmly. Uh, Netflix's stock as of today is down another 9.3 points or 4.32%. Uh, so they are still tumbling a bit. Wow. It, it, it's funny how I feel like when Apple TV Plus first announced, especially a lot of the film and TV media, including Slash Film, aside from me, who is um, uh, the self-confessed Apple fanboy, um, were kind of really on their butts about being like, you know, their, their strategy of what they were doing of like, you know, just uh, it seemed like they were taking like the HBO approach a little bit of like trying to bet on big names and big filmmakers and do. And they still are doing that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're I think they're they're betting on quality over quantity where Netflix <laughs> is doing the opposite and every once in a while you know for a hundred things they do they get one stranger things and that stranger yeah. things helps you know the hundred losers um whereas whereas amazon is just going how much money do we have great lord of the rings kids like that right uh you know and uh i don't know uh yeah. i my, my big my let's let's button this up by asking what happens if the first season fails to meet expectations on like every level like let's say it comes out and critics don't really like it it doesn't end up looking all that impressive and like what what happens then because like they're already committed to a second season like what do you think the fallout looks like i don't know i mean they have to make a second season right they do <laughs> like, like so, saying, yeah i don't I, I don't know i don't know and the, the the thing is i'm sure that second season will already be in production 
by the time the first yeah. season's filmed. Yeah. So it's not yeah. even like they can, you know, pivot and like address concerns of what people. Oh no, we'll see. I, I I think it's way too early for us to call this a failure, um, because it, it could be amazing. You know, there's a big fan base for Lord okay. Of the Rings. Here, here's the only thing I'll ask is, let's say you said we made two new Lord of the Rings movies. And we spent $468 million on those two movies combined. That's still, still a lot. Like that would be a gigantic budget even, you know what I mean? For where like those were proven entities at the box office, you would still look at that budget figure and go, you know, that's a lot. And you just, so where you're not getting any box office and you're banking on subscriber dollars, I still see that number as just insurmountable. I mean... Ryan, they did do that. <laughs> they, they they made the Hobbit series of films, the the trilogy, and it cost them over seven hundred million dollars to make those. But that was three. So you divide that over three movies. Wait, the Hobbits weren't that expensive, were they? According to Wikipedia. Oh, uh, and you know Wikipedia is never wrong. And... No, because I wrote something about Lord of the Rings for. Uh, hold on one second. Uh, I know we're yeah. getting a little off track here. Well, no, okay. So the Hobbit movies, supposedly, so uh, yeah, si- five, yeah, seven, seven hundred between the three. But, yeah. but, about three billion dollars global box office. So, you know, two point nine billion. So, uh, how many Prime subscriptions do you need? Actually, it, that that's the wrong. Uh, it is a wrong metric. We've talked about this a little because- bit. But also, like, if you get Prime subscribers, how many months do you need? You know, if if you're able to get someone on Prime and they stay there for a year, then you're counting that year of. Right. I guess and you also, have to buy it for a year. It isn't monthly, is it? You can do monthly. I do monthly. Okay. But then the other, but then the other thing to consider is Amazon Prime Video is a feature of Prime. Yeah. And so the idea is Amazon wants people buying toilet paper and books and other things from Amazon Prime as well, as opposed to buying them elsewhere. Prime Video being a feature of that. So like we've discussed, these big tech companies almost have a better business model because they're not completely reliant on streaming alone turning a profit. So, you know, that's good, but it's still, it's an, that's a whole lot of other shit you've got to sell to get $468 million worth. Okay, we need to talk about this last story uh, and we are running out of time. So Disney Plus has a docuseries coming out called Sketchbook, uh, which is... You know, uh, 2D hand-drawn animation artists showing you how to draw classic Disney characters. There's a thing in the theme parks called Animation Academy, where if you go to like, uh, there's one in Disney California Adventure, and you go in there, and they give you a, a piece of paper, and they, they have a Disney artist that shows you how to draw like Mickey Mouse, and uh, over the course of like 10 minutes you're able to follow along and draw Mickey. It's something that looks like Mickey Mouse. At the, at the end of it, little kids like feel like they're like you know disney animation masters probably maybe not masters but like it it really does give you a lot of confidence by the end of it and uh this series kind of spotlights uh a bunch of different hand-drawn animation uh artists and they show you how to draw these classic disney characters why is this interesting aside from you know it being a, a show on disney plus uh well it's interesting because there's just this news story to come out of it that this might herald the studio's return to 2d hand-drawn animation so uh i don't know uh so okay i'm, I'm trying to think of how i can break this down so 
so this series is six episodes where you can draw the genie from Aladdin or Olaf from Frozen, and it features a bunch of different artists, uh, including Eric Goldberg, who has been with Disney for so many years. He's the guy that drew uh, genie in the uh, Aladdin movie. He drew um, in Moana. He did the the tattoos of uh, of uh, the Rock's character, and um, he's still with Disney. And he believes that you know Disney should get back to hand drawn animation, as do I. And uh, in in recent years, uh, the new heads of Walt Disney Animation Studio. Uh, the chief creative officer, Jennifer Lee, and President Clark Spencer have kind of created this new 12-month training program. So they ha- picked six animators chosen from over 2,000 applicant- applicants, and they're uh, to be mentored by you know 2D animators, uh, and uh, such as Eric Goldberg. And I, I guess the the purpose of this mentorship is Disney wants to rebuild their hand-drawn animation division in some sense. In what sense? I don't know. Here's the quote from Eric Goldberg. He says, I've been campaigning for a long time to train up people in hand-drawn. And as the CG films became more and more popular, the idea became less and less important to the studio. But now we have an atmosphere and a group of people who recognize that's part of the legacy here. And to actually have content that requires hand-drawn animation is absolutely great. Thank goodness we have people who can do both here. But to actually commit to training up a new generation is a wonderful thing and I think perfectly appropriate for us. So we don't know really know what's going on here. Goldberg says that the upcoming 2D projects, quote, run the gamut from legacy to originals to hybrids. And will include features and series, but he doesn't get into any specifics on what it will be. And, you know, just because they're developing things doesn't mean it's actually going to happen. Um, but as a fan of hand-drawn animation, uh, you know, I love computer animation as well. I love Pixar. And, I, you know, uh, Pete Docter, who came came out of Pixar, he's a, he's a huge fan of hand-drawn animation. So uh, I'm sure he's, you know, a proponent of this as well. Um the question is, Ryan, do, do you think we're actually going to see any hand-drawn animated features from Disney again? I can see it. Yeah, because I think like cycles of nostalgia get you there where that might make some sense. Um, you know, t- to to what degree? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess the short answer is yes. Like that totally would make some sense to me. Uh, it, it just It's just really a matter of like, how and and when it it happens and and is it a disney plus thing is it a theatrical thing is it a you know the idea interests me a lot um but but it's but it's really it's it's really an interesting question of like you know what what way that happens and 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 all of that good jazz it's just weird because we've we we now have a a generation of people that have grown up just purely on computer animated features and i you know i've talked to like relatives and people you know little kids i know uh and like when they see hand-drawn animation they at least from my my specific experience of talking to people they look at it almost how we looked at like um i don't know they look at it as like lesser do you know what i mean they look at it as like oh this is this is cheap this isn't the real thing which is like so sad so <laughs> it, it is kind of a bummer, but it would be interesting to see again, like, again, like nostalgic cycles, you know, it would be interesting to see if, if you could, 
if you could get get it to sort of you know capture that exact correct audience and uh and yeah you know we'll see but yeah yeah see i want i want to see like you uh, seem to be a big what form would you want to see it take because you you're you you have a pretty strong you know feeling about this well what do you mean what form like would you want to see like a theatrically released movie would you want to see like you know a, a show like what you know do you want it to be in a previous existing franchise do you want an original movie like what do you want oh that's a good question what do i want i don't like, know what, what the, i as want someone, yeah as someone as a fan as a fan who like you say you were you're an admitted fan of this like what would you like to see most if disney were to do it hmm i don't know that 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 is that is really i haven't thought about that i don't I don't have an answer for you. I, I mean, I guess I would like to see some more original stuff. Like, you know, animation is the one uh, medium that it seems like we're not stuck on the idea of everything is a sequel or based on, you know, a remake or, I mean, I guess that's not true because even a lot of the old <laughs> uh, Disney stuff is adaptation, right? But it seems like right. there is more original stuff coming out of animation than there is live action percentage wise am i wrong there mm, no i wouldn't say that's wrong no 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 um so yeah i think i would just like to see a new d- a, a original disney you know i i've had this pitch for years now i know we're running late so I'm, i'll keep this short but no, i'd no, like to see like a roger rabbit kind of movie where we find out you know it takes place in the cg the world of uh cg animation and we find out that um you know, the the world of 2D animation exists and it's kind of been like, uh, you know, it's it's kind of the, the it's, <laughs> it's been locked away. And, Boy, there's a rabbit hole. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's like something to do there. I don't I don't have the whole pitch on top of me here, but I think like there could there could be a nostalgic play in introducing 2D, 2D animation back into the mix. And you could by doing that, you could also have the nostalgia of having a lot of Disney characters that we know and love together in one movie. I'm, I'm not sure yeah, how that works. It would have to be Disney because, <laughs> well, cause you're not going to get like inter studio cooperation anymore. Like you got with Roger rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, if there's money to be made, you never know, Ryan, you never know, but okay. Oh, uh, we- oh, oh, I know Peter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we have uh, reached the end of today's slash film daily. You can find more of all of our work at slash film.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter slash film.com. And please rate and review this podcast and Apple podcast. Tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. This is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall. He knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.